0: Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, uh, you are the one who walks among us, Lord Christ. Uh, you speak to your people. You open our hearts. Um, Lord Jesus, you, you change the spiritual realities of our world. Uh, and so, Lord Christ, I pray that this morning, as you minister to your people, uh, that you would change our hearts, that you would form us more into the men and women who you are calling us to be. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been at Restoration long enough, you've probably at some point heard me talk about uh, where I came from, Kansas. Uh, I know it's easy to pick on Kansas, but I love Kansas. Uh, I'm grateful to have been from there. Uh, I know that it's a flyover state, and I know that technically it's flatter than a pancake, um, but this is also one of the things that I love about Kansas, because uh, it's, it's un, uh, unbroken topography, and I use that phrase uh, Purposely, I think it's a beautiful phrase, unbroken topography. Who doesn't want to move to Kansas now with its unbroken topography? Um, but what that does is it means that, that these massive uh, storm structures and systems can, can quickly form as, as clouds kind of come off the Rockies and they gain uh, humidity and, and momentum. They just turn into these massive storm systems. And uh, sunsets and sunrises in Kansas are just absolutely gorgeous and striking. I mean, uh, it's, it's beautiful there. Um, well as, as these storm systems roll over uh, and kind of go overhead and you see these mountains of cloud kind of coming at you and, and moving across the sky, every now and then, uh, actually quite often, at some point, they break. Uh, they, they become unstable. And then you hear like these pearls of thunder that start coming and, and, and warning us of impending danger. And we see lightning coming and starting to strike the ground and tornado sirens go off. And sometimes a tornado even drops down. And those are also extremely unpredictable. They'll kind of devastate one city block and then they'll skip over another and free that one and then go and destroy another thing. So it's absolutely a terrifying experience um, as these things happen. But there's also something quite enchanting about the storms, isn't there? Uh, my father, when he would hear the tornado sirens go off, he'd grab his jacket and he'd go and stand at the end of the driveway, uh, and then my mother would scream at him and tell him to come inside. Um, yeah, I've, I've told this story before, but at one point, uh, I remember that he went outside and she screamed at him, and he, and he was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, and so she locked the door on him and wouldn't let him come back in. I thought that was a little counterproductive, um, but I, I remember it to this day. Well, friends, Jesus is at work among us, moving in our midst, and he is also sounding a loud warning. He's saying things like, the kingdom of God is coming. It's at hand. I proclaim good news to the poor. I'm here to liberate the oppressed. I'm here to give sight to the blind. And so brace yourselves, he says. Repent. Believe in me. Follow me, he says. Now, today's passage from Mark, we find ourselves in Capernaum which Capernaum probably has a similar reputation as Kansas. It's, it's flyover country, right? Uh, I love that a plane just flew over. Uh, perfect timing, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's also a small rural town like Nazareth. Uh, archaeologists have a hard time pinning down precisely where it is. Um, and as far as the world's elites go, it's, it's pretty insignificant. You don't hear these great stories taking place in Capernaum usually. But guess what? This is where storms happen. This is where Jesus happens. This is where his word generates a really strange atmosphere, as we see in our text. We see that he's casting out spirits. We, we hear someone screaming, and we hear the, the rest of the room being like, what is going on here, trying to make sense of the presence of Jesus Christ? And we don't know if we should run for shelter and, you know, hide somewhere, or, we should go to the end of the driveway and stand and get close as we can to the storm. So I want to move us through this passage. I have three scenes that I kind of am breaking this down into. And at the end of this, I want us to ask, does this make any sense for us today? Does this have any bearing on us today as Jesus shows up here among us? So Jesus is in Capernaum. He goes to a worship service. And as is the custom of that day, when a rabbi comes, he was invited to teach And the Bible says that the people were astonished at his teaching. His teaching, he he teaches with actual authority, not as the scribes teach. So when you hear that phrase authority, what kind of feelings are stirred up in you? What kind of images come to mind? Is it a positive word? Is it a negative word? What What does that word authority mean to you? Now, in a sense, it means power, right? Like, that's, that's obviously a component to it. Uh, if you have authority uh, in, in your relative uh, vocations, that means that you have the ability to enact change that actually impacts people around you, right? But I think also authority, uh, as similar to the word author, it, it implies uh, a degree of, of creation to it. It, it, it. it implies kind of a, a degree of authorship to it. To be someone who has authority, you have an expertise that you bring to the table. Uh, You have this intimate knowledge about that which you are talking. So in many cases, the one who has authority is the one who's created that thing. So if you were to come into our living room, which I hope all of you do at some point, probably not at the same time, that would be a little... A storm of its own, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, at one point in time, our family, uh, we went up to the, the north shore, the north, north coast as some like to call it, um, and, and we um, splurged and bought these two pieces of art that hang above the piano in our living room. And I love these. They're of the north coast there of, of Lake Superior, and one of them is like this cliff that's looming over the waters, and another one has trees in it that's very ominous because it looks as if those trees are, are waving. So it seems to imply that one of those legendary Lake Superior storms is about to come. And the longer that I look at these two pieces, the more questions that come to my mind. I wonder things like, why did the artist choose to to do these colors? Why are the trees pointed in this direction? Is this a real location, or is this just kind of a compilation of the artist's memories? This part looks kind of strange to me. Was, Was that a mistake or not? Is there an agenda behind this artwork? Is it meant to stir me to love these things more? Uh, What sort of feelings is it trying to evoke? Are these two pieces meant to talk to one another, or are they independent of one another? Now, I can turn to my bride, and I I can ask Molly, you know, what do you think about these things? And she provides a lot of really great insight to these things. But if I wanted to go to the ultimate authority, who do you think I would go to? The artist, absolutely. The artist is the one who was motivated and and stirred to actually create this work. Uh, The artist is the one who chose those colors. The artist is the one who knows why they did this. And so that's precisely where I can bring my questions. Well, friends, Jesus is painting a picture for us. And this isn't just in the scriptures. He does this for us through our prayer, through our common worship together, and the ways in which he reveals himself through the scriptures and our fellowship and through the ministry of Word and Table here. But he's painting a picture for us because he is the artist. He is the source. He is the authority. And what is it that he talks about? He paints for us a portrait of love and beauty and of justice. And he's the one whose mind this originated with, Right? He's the one who paints a picture of justice that's actually just and of power that's actually merciful and beauty that is all-encompassing and uh, just overwhelming, right? From his very being flows the concept of love. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so in this first scene, we understand why the people are astounded by Jesus because he's he's speaking about these, these values, these deep human longings as the author of them himself. And so imagine what it would have been like to sit in the room and hear these words come from Jesus himself. What a beautiful moment that would have been. So what do we see in this second scene? Well, in verse 23, we read, immediately in the synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. Now this demonic spirit screams out in the midst of the room. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. Now, this is meant to be a disturbing scene. It's, it's upsetting to people, right? Now, isn't it interesting that the demon knows precisely who Jesus is? And he's permitted to actually say that out loud? But do you hear the fear that's in those words of the demon? You see, he knows that there will be a day in which the Son of God will appear and vanquish him will deal with him, who put him away, who will put things in order. The scriptures tell us that the Son of Man will come to crush the head of Satan and cast all of those evil spirits into the realm of darkness. This, and this evil spirit, in this story, fears that the moment is now, and so he freaks out. And so he starts doing these things. He starts screaming, and he identifies exactly who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. Now, when those words come out in the room, this is like nails on a chalkboard for Jesus. It's not pleasant for him to hear his title, these holy things, come out of this mouth. As one scholar says, evil spirits are never to be trusted even when they're telling the truth. I like that. And so be silent, Jesus says. Come out of him. And the remarkable thing is that immediately the spirit obeys. The spirit does so. He leaves. The man convulses, lets out a scream, and then the spirit is gone. There's now calm in the room, there's order in the room now. So what do we see in this second scene? Well, not only does the authority of Jesus evoke wonder and awe from people, but his authority actually does things. His authority actually accomplishes things. I mean, imagine what it would have been like to be in the room at that time. So this is a small village that we're talking about, so everyone knows precisely who this man is, they know what family they come, this person comes from. They know what his history is. They know what his struggles are. And my guess is this is not the first time that this kind of disruption has happened in their worship, right? Like this man surely must have been a, a menace to the room, right? Causing fear to the entire small village. And so when Jesus steps into the room, And Jesus casts out the evil spirit. Not only is that man set free from the prison that he's been chained up in for years and years and years, who knows, but also the entire community is set free in a sense. I mean, imagine the alleviation of stress that would have kind of permeated the room at that moment, the, the peace and the calm that everyone, like this is a new reality for not just that man, but for that entire community. And that's what Jesus does. His authority is not empty, it's not vain, it's not made up. It's real, it's powerful, and it impacts us in the here and now. Jesus has the ability to realign spiritual realities just at his word. A man who is imprisoned by evil is now set free. A community is now set free as well. So Jesus doesn't just talk about freedom. He walks up to the jail cell and opens it up and says, it's time to come out now. It's time to experience freedom. Come and follow me. Jesus brings stillness to the storm. So thirdly, what do we see in here? Well, in verse 27, the text says that they were all amazed this time is the word that he, that the word is used, amazed. Notice here, this word amazed in verse 27 is different from the word that was used previously in verse 22. There, uh, in describing the people's action, the word is astonished. Throughout Mark's gospel, he uses six different words to try to capture and try to paint that picture of the awe and the wonder and the fear that was evoked um, uh, by Jesus as he interacted with people. You know, he was an astonishing, amazing person. As one scholar says, the disturbance of men by God has now begun. I love that, how chilling in a comforting sort of way. So we see here, too, that the people, they're they're trying to make sense of what's happening, right? And there's no category for this. Jesus is not like the scribes. he's, uh, He's not like someone who is just kind of repeating the teaching that they heard back in Jerusalem, is now kind of making the circuit and just sort of echoing or repeating these things out to people. No, Jesus is teaching as the authority, the source. Jesus isn't like kings who kind of roll out and sort of enforce these new edicts, and it takes time for change. No, Jesus' word enacts change immediately. Immediately, as soon as he acts, things happen. And Jesus isn't like the prophets even, the ones who would prophesy things, and then for generations, people would wait for those things to come true. Jesus' message is applicable to the here and now. He speaks, and those realities transform a community. Who is this, the people say. Even the evil spirits obey this man. So a few questions for us to ponder. First, have you ever been astonished by Jesus before? Have you ever experienced something like this before where where Jesus speaks and all of a sudden it's, it's like this realignment that you experience? I had a realigning experience with my chiropractor this week and I was able to like walk in freedom. I was like, oh my goodness, Jim, you're amazing. I love you. Have your soul ever experienced that with Jesus before? Where you hear a word and all of a sudden it's like you have a, a new like skeleton or something. And you're like, my goodness, this is beautiful. This is amazing. Now, if you can't think of a moment like that, let me push back a little bit. Because my guess is that at some point in your life, you heard a word or something that, that realigned you, that reoriented you to be able to hear from Jesus, and maybe you heard that this morning. It was a nudge to, to come here into this room. And who knows? But for, uh, according to God's plan, you are here this morning. And maybe that was because you heard a gentle nudge in your life. It doesn't always have to be a tornado ripping through town. Sometimes it's a small, quiet whisper, and we hear his voice. For me, I think of when I was a teenager and just heartbroken over some loss that I had experienced. And my mom, who had just become a Christian, which I thought was really weird at the time, would open the scriptures to me. And these things just permeated my soul. They, they broke through my external sort of shield that I was putting up. And I encountered Christ in that. And he astonished me. I encountered a God who loves me. And it changed my life. So my question is, have you experienced that? Because friends, Jesus loves you. Jesus is the astonishing one. And he wants to speak to us He's the one who goes after the outcast. He's the one who forgives the most notorious of sinners. He's the one who heals the brokenhearted and gives sight to the blind. But more than this, he's the one who died for us upon the cross, taking all of our brokenness, our sin, our guilt, and our shame upon himself And paying for it on the cross once and for all so that those things no longer have control over us. They don't define us anymore. They don't direct what our path or our destiny is going to be anymore. Jesus does. He's the one who welcomes us. He's the one who cleanses us. He's the one who says, your sins are forgiven. And those spiritual realities are changed because he is the one with the utmost authority to do so. What he says is true. And so he's the one who forgives sins Taking the debt upon himself, he's the one who unlocks the jail cell and invites all of us to step out and follow him. So, are you open to being amazed by him again? Maybe he'll speak to you again. Maybe there's something in your life, another storm that's come your way that sort of turned things upside down, that's surprised you, and it's sort totally of disoriented your life right now, and you desperately need Jesus to show up and speak to you in the midst of this. So, we're gonna pause here for a couple of moments of silence. I'm going to ask you in that moment as you, because I, I know several of your stories. I obviously don't know all of your stories, but I know a couple of your stories, and I know that there are storms that are represented here in this room, and you desperately are reaching out for God. And so we're going to pause. I'm going to ask you to, to pray these things, to, to bring them forward to the Lord in, in, in silence and just say, Lord Jesus, this is a chaotic moment. I cannot control this. I need you to show up in this. And maybe the way that that's answered is just by Sensing his presence in your life in an intimate sort of way, you know, maybe a hand upon your shoulder, or maybe just presence within the depths of your soul, or maybe it's the 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 presence of of another believer, a brother or sister in your life here in this room. Even maybe Jesus will show up. He's alive. He's he's walking among us. He wants to to calm the storms, or at least be present with us in the storms and in the here and now. But maybe this morning you're you're here and you're like, you know what, Pastor Rick, like. I've been through the storms before, but right now I'm just in this really sweet season. That's okay too. As we pause, you don't have to invent a crisis. Um, Instead, maybe as we pause, you can just give thanks to the Lord for showing up. But I would charge you to bear that testimony, to share that testimony with someone else so that someone around you perhaps needs to know a testimony of Jesus as the faithful one, as the one who speaks into our chaotic moments, who, who casts out evil, right, and brings order and peace to our lives. So I promise we are going to pause. But again, just as a reminder, how can you bring this moment before the Lord? How can you pursue the Lord in the midst of this chaotic moment? And let me just say, again, one little add-on, your prayer doesn't have to stop, here this morning. There's prayer ministers who'd love to pray with you after you receive communion this morning. Surely you can reach out to to your table group leaders or someone on staff or someone next to you who looks like they can uh, hold these things with you, but don't carry these things alone. Pursue Christ together. So, let's pause for a moment as we pray into the Lord, as we pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the astonishing one. Lord, you show up in the midst of the chaos. And your words are light and life. Lord, continue to move in this community as we pursue you, as we follow you. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.